Motorsport Coaching Podcast, sponsored by Motivate Training and Management. This is a podcast where we talk to drivers and industry experts to help you maximize your performances on and off the track. Let's get started with today's show. Episode 33 of the Motorsport Coaching Podcast. I am your host, Belinda Risley, and today I am joined by personal trainer extraordinaire, Mr. Trey Shannon. Before I go on a little bit about him, I'm going just to read a review that we've had for iTunes. Um, because I do batch these podcasts often a few weeks in advance, um, sometimes I forget about <laughs> the reviews, uh, although I actively promote you guys to write them. So I do apologize if you feel that you've written them and I haven't um, mentioned your name before. Um, but this week goes to Ben um, and he simply wrote, um, great interview with Mac- Marcus Dumsney. Well done, Ben. So thanks very much, Ben, for listening. Um, I know you listen every week and I appreciate your feedback. So today's guest, guys, is Trey Shannon, as previously mentioned, from Podium Performance Fitness in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he works from drivers from karting to NASCAR to IMSA prototypes, all of them with the same goal to improve their fitness and performance behind the wheel. In addition to being a certified um, coach by the National Strength and Conditioning Association as a strength and conditioning specialist, he's also certified as a head and neck training specialist for the purpose of concussion prevention. Trey has also um, raced carts before on and off for the past 18 years and he's completed their indifferent 24-hour races um, also as a solo driver. So we go in great depth about him competing in the 24-hour race, obviously around the mental capacity that it must take for him to perform that and, of course, how does he go to the toilet (laughs) during that time frame. So um, grab your pen and paper, guys. I hope you're having a fantastic day and um, I look forward to hearing your feedback on this episode. Thanks for joining me. Hey Trey, welcome to the show. Hey Belinda, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. Well, as I was just mentioning to you off air, I get Instagram envy every day looking for wonderful Instagram stories. Obviously having the opportunity to have a studio and being able to train motorsport competitors face-to-face must be a real thrill for you. It is, it really is and it's something that I that I've been wanting to get into for a while and I'm I'm super happy to be able to do that now. It really is really does make going to work every day a lot easier. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about your journey. You have raced um, motorsports before. Uh, how did you get involved into it? Have you been racing for a long time? And what kind of categories have you raced? Yeah, so most of my racing has been in karting. Actually, all of my racing has been in karting. But uh, when, I was, when I was four years old, my dad took me to the Long Beach Grand Prix IndyCar race. And I was absolutely hooked. I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. So uh, I got into karting when I was about 16. Um, so I, I really enjoyed racing. And I, I actually BMX, raced BMX bikes uh, up until that point just to be able to do something in racing. And then got into karting and I've been karting off and on for the last uh, 18, 18 or so years. Um, and then recently doing some of the 24 hour races and stuff like that, since getting, getting into the karting weekly and stuff like that is, is very difficult. Obviously time is, is a little bit stressed. And then also, uh, as much as I'd love to be making millions of dollars doing this, I'm not quite there yet. So (laughs) I have to limit the amount of track activity for myself for the time being. Yeah, and so you're based in Charlotte in America. Is there many race tracks around there, like cart tracks around there, or what kind of tracks are based? 
Yeah, we've got a little bit of everything around here. Charlotte obviously being kind of the, the center for most of the NASCAR activity. Most of the teams are based here. Obviously, the Charlotte Motor Speedway is, is right here in town, and they've got the, the big oval and then the, the road course inside. Um, and then in terms of karting, we actually have uh, GoPro Motorplex, which is right up the road in there. That is a top-of-the-line FIA-rated facility, and it's, uh, it's really good. It's been nice to have that close by. Tara was just writing some notes there. <laughs> um, fantastic. So from your love of motorsport, is that how you got into be a personal trainer? Yeah, a little bit. I actually used my love of motorsport to get into engineering first. Oh. And I thought from an early age, I thought the wings on Indy cars were, were super cool. So my whole plan, my whole big plan was to be a, an aerodynamicist in racing. And I was on track. I actually went to, I went to university to get an aerospace engineering degree. So I did that and I worked as an engineer both inside and outside racing for about 10 years. But back in 2011, when I was training myself, uh, I was training and working with a trainer to prepare for a 24-hour uh, world record attempt in a cart. That was when I kind of fell in love with the whole process of training somebody to perform at their peak for a specific event or for a specific sport. And I thought I had two really big thoughts with that. One, I really enjoy this. I really love this. And the second was, I can do this. And after the after that record attempt, I looked into what kind of certifications I wanted to get and studied up for a couple of years, got my certifications and kind of did that part-time for a little while and slowly migrated it to my full-time gig. Yeah. And so let's just go back to your 24-hour gig. <laughs> um, tell us about it because I believe you've done a few of them now, around about six or seven of them. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So in various different forms, I've done seven 24-hour solo cart drives. Yeah. So it started with, it started with a record attempt with um, trying to complete the, the most number of kilometers or miles in a 24-hour period for a solo driver. So Which was? I could, <laughs> uh, I could manage that however, however I wanted. I can't remember what the kilometer number on it is, but I ended up doing 845 miles. Uh -huh. So I think that was somewhere around 1,400 kilometers, something like that, perhaps. I can't uh, – it's been a while since I've had to do conversions. So. That's all right. It's been, uh, it's been a minute, but so yeah, we did that and in the out, uh, outdoor event. So we did that at Newcastle Motorsports Park in Indiana. And then the next year, uh, for whatever reason, I decided I wanted to try to do the same thing on an indoor circuit, which was much, much harder. And that one actually wasn't super successful. I still set a baseline, like I set a, a record uh, just because it didn't exist. Um, I think that one was 312 miles, but that actually fairly quickly got broken by an Australian, Cam Wilson, Australian Ute driver. So after he broke it so easily, <laughs> and then a, another, another guy here in America broke that one as well, I decided to, to go back to make another attempt at that and ended up going 455 miles on an indoor track. So that was, the, that was the third or fourth one that I did. And somewhere along the line, there's a, an event here in America called the 24 Hours of America, which is a 24-hour kart race designed for teams. And the promoter of that event invited me to come try it as a, as a solo. So first one I did of those, I kind of just tried to stay out of the way, complete the, dis, you know, complete the 24 hours, stay out of the way, try not, to, try not to cause any problems for anyone. 
And then the following year, we actually, they actually created a solo class. So myself and the other American guy who had broken my indoor record, he and I got to race head to head, which was really cool because it was actually in the, the infield go-kart track at Daytona International Speedway. Well, so nice. we got to race, yeah, we got to race around with the big lights on Daytona and the, the infield kart track. And we ended up after 24 hours, we were separated by, I think, 3.8 seconds. Oh, wow. like that. <laughs> so it didn't really solve anything as to who can go farther because <laughs> we ended up going the exact same distance. And why do you do a 24 hour event? Is it, is it a personal challenge of yourself or are you raising money for charity or is it just, yeah, a <laughs> mind it's uh yeah all of the above right i mean it's so it it is definitely a big personal challenge and i really enjoy challenging myself and finding these things that that really push the limits of what the human body is capable of and then i do also use the i use my racing uh which is pretty much exclusively 24-hour events now (laughs) um i use that as a way to raise funds and awareness for the tourette association of america um, so raising awareness for Tourette syndrome and usually what I'll do is, is each race I'll set up a, a different, um, I'll set up a page for some donations and they go directly to the, to that charity. So yeah, we've tried to put a bit of a, a bit of a charity spin on it, which has definitely helped raise more, more so raising awareness. I think more than trying to raise money is, is just getting, you know, making it known that people with Tourette syndrome can do just a, just as much as anybody else can. And it doesn't really cause any major hindrances, that kind of thing. And, and hopefully inspire some people with Tourette's to continue after what, what it is that they want to do, despite any issues they may be having. Oh, that's really nice. And I do feel like I need to ask the question, Trey, how do you go to the toilet? Do you have a toilet stop? <laughs> yeah. So uh, that has kind of evolved a little bit ever since the very beginning. So the very first one that we did, uh, that was with a Rotax engine. So yeah. we had to refuel every hour. I think uh-huh. it was every. I think it was every seventy minutes. So okay. I would hop out and run to the run to the bathroom and then hop back in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for the uh, but ever since that, we've actually moved to a on cart toilet system. So we would do something similar to what a, I would do something similar to what fighter pilots would use. And that's just a, an external catheter with like a bag that's strapped to your leg and then drain it whenever the cart's being refueled and then hop back in. So a little bit less sanitary, but nowhere close to just sitting there and you're in a pool of your own urine or anything like that. It's, we, we, keep, it, we, we keep it fairly, uh, fairly tame. And is that when you refuel yourself with nutrition or supplements or hydration when the, the cart's restocked or how do you manage Yeah, a little bit. I actually use, I use a drink solution in a camelback that I'll clip to my rib vest. So I'll have a camelback uh, on me while I'm out on track and that has uh, a drink solution that's used for triathletes. So they'll use it throughout their throughout their races, which are tend to be, you know, for the higher level guys, seven, eight hours. And for the common, you know, recreational triathlete could be anywhere from 11 to 14 hours, something like that. So it's been designed for that long-term fuel. So I'll use, I'll use that in my drink, in my drink pouch while I'm on track and we'll switch it every few hours. And then every few hours when we are switching it, I may grab like a little bit of a, you know, a tiny little goo gummy 
and try to chew a couple of those. Um, but outside of that, that's the only nutrition that I'll have throughout the throughout the course of a race. So it works out pretty well. I usually tend to, to burn eight to 9,000 calories throughout the course of a 24 hour race. And I can manage to take in somewhere between six and seven. So definitely at a bit of a calorie deficit, but still managing to get in a decent amount throughout the course of a race. And then how do you mentally prepare for an event like that? Um, that's, that's probably the, the best question because it, uh, it definitely, it's not a matter of, of training your body so much to withstand it. Obviously, there is a large amount of that that goes into it, but no matter how good of shape you're in, it is absolutely going to suck and there's nothing you can do about that. So being mentally prepared for, it, for yourself to be in a lot of pain and for you know, to be able to push through it and that kind of thing, uh, I think that's the, the main thing is, is I understand that it's going to be fairly unpleasant and I, I get myself mentally prepared for that. Yeah, and can you give us some insight into what you do? Is it a matter of, um, you know, doing some meditation, visualizations? Are you listening to audio um, music? Yeah, so experience has definitely helped. I think I, I definitely was mentally more prepared and mentally tougher on the seventh one than I was on the first. Mm -hmm. And then just, I think overall, uh, having a good a good mental framework going into it and knowing that there are going to be things outside of your control. There are going to be things that happen that you don't expect and just being adaptable throughout the course of like a lot can happen in 24 hours. And I think part of it is knowing that your knowing that your mind is going to trail off a little bit sometimes and working on exercises to, to help bring that back. Um, so whenever I, whenever I'm in a training session or something like that, I don't necessarily try to stay hyper-focused throughout the course of the session, but I try to really recognize when my mind is wandering and then what am I going to do to, to bring it back to, to the focus that it needs to have and that kind of thing. So yeah, it, I wish I had like a silver bullet secret for how to mentally prepare, but I think really it's, it's just understanding that it's going to be really difficult and knowing that a lot of things can and will happen and just being able to be adaptable and, and, and work through them. And through your experience of training some high profile um, motorsport competitors, how important do you think um, mental training is or mental preparation? I think it's absolutely crucial. And uh, we, you know, we say mental and, and I, and <laughs> yeah, what, I think we're, what I think we're both talking about is, is psychological really, is there psychological approach and things like that? Because we also do a lot of mental training, which, uh, actually refers to cognitive function and, you know, things like reaction time and peripheral vision and, you know, recognition of patterns and things like that to really keep their mental faculties sharp throughout the course of a race. Uh, but when it comes to psychological training, there are certain elements of it that will address throughout the course of training that would improve their training. Um, but when it comes to their psychological approach to a race weekend or something like that, uh, we'll, I'll sort of steer them towards somebody whose teachings I've followed. And he actually, it's convenient because he's here near Charlotte area, but um, I'll, I'll turn them towards uh, Performance Prime mm -hmm. service. And he's uh, Dr. Jacques Delaire. He's written the book Performance Thinking, which that's, one of the one of the methods I use to mentally prepare is 
he has you kind of go through uh, and build a model essentially for how to get yourself into your A game. And it's been really helpful for me and I'll, I'll direct people towards him if, if they need, if I feel like they need help with that. So I definitely have some, some drivers who I can notice throughout the course of like a training session, if they get frustrated when they don't do something right, or uh, especially with the reaction time work that we do, you can see them kind of bang the table real quick or something if they mess something up. And, or, and then at the same time, I can see the certain people who, who are able to shake off a mistake and get right back into it and they don't even think about it kind of thing. So I look out for stuff like that. And if I feel like one of the, you know, one of my drivers could use a little bit of extra help with psychological preparation, then I'll steer them. I'll steer them in that direction. Fantastic. was a great service that you have available just there in that little hub of yours. <laughs> <laughs> it is def- It is definitely helpful. And we've had a few drivers utilize Dr. Jacques services and, and he is, uh, he is one of the, one of the best in that, in that turn, uh, in that business. And Trey, what are your thoughts, um, on the difference between a personal trainer and a coach? And what do you call yourself? Uh, I guess I would refer to myself as a coach. Um, I, I, I'll tell people that I'm a trainer fairly frequently just because I think that resonates with them a little bit more. If I say that I'm a coach, they kind of tend to think of somebody with a whistle and a clipboard standing by the side of a, you know, a field coaching football or baseball or something like that. So, but they don't really think of a strength coach. They would think of a different kind of coach. So I'll use trainer a lot, but I think the main difference is being able to, you know, a trainer is going to give you what you need to, to get better at what, what it is you're trying to get better at in terms of the the workouts and you should do this this many times and that kind of thing. And, and they be, they may be great at, at, at properly programming that and, and that kind of stuff. But I think with the, when it comes to coaching, there's definitely an element of, you know, tapping into each individual's motivation and figuring out what it is that really drives them and trying to draw that out during a training session and over the course of, you know, of a whole season. Um, and I think that's where, that's where the, the term coach really starts to fit more. And I definitely do, uh, I definitely do try to tap into that. And it's something I didn't necessarily think was, was needed at first. My whole approach at at the very beginning of this journey was, you know, I've got the ingredients. It's up to you to kind of bring the motivation to, to cook it. And I've definitely shifted much more to the other side of that. And they're, you know, they obviously want the, most of my clients, they want to prepare specifically for racing. Um, so we do that. And a lot of, a lot of times though, we do have to kind of see how it is that they're feeling that day. And what can I do to make that training session more effective for them? You know, what kind of things do I need to do on a personal level to make that training session more effective? And that's where you kind of crossover from trainer to coach, I feel like. Yeah. So uh, we very much advertise that we do coaching packages because it's more of a holistic approach to Mm -hmm. that training. So yes, we can do training programs, but we like to look at the person in a whole to approach them to be, become a better driver. Exactly. And I think that's, that's where it really does differentiate. Yeah. And so you obviously sound very passionate about your role, Trey. What do you love most about being a motorsport coach? 
Oh man. Um, <laughs> one motorsports. I mean, I, I love all things motorsports and, you know, fitness became a really big passion of mine as I got through, as I went through university. So being able to put those two together on a, on a daily basis is really, uh, is really rewarding and I really do love it. And then, uh, to go with that, I think really the, the biggest part is the problem solving aspect of it. And that is, and that's probably the engineer that's still inside me. And, um, you know, just when a drive, I love it when a driver comes to me and says, man, this, this part of my body was really sore after this race, but it isn't usually after other races or something like that. And then I get to sit down and analyze, okay, why, why might that have been the case? What, what corner was it on that track or what characteristic of that track was it that was creating that problem for that specific driver? And how can we, how can we make sure that that doesn't happen in the future? And I really do. I really, huh? they're breaking down the biomechanics of it. all. Yes. And, and I, I love the problem, problem solving aspect of it. So, um, yeah, but outside of that, I just, I love racing and I love fitness. So it really is hard to go wrong. <laughs> and, um, what do you feel the difference between training a basketball athlete versus an everyday person? What kind of training differences are there? Um, well, for one, I feel like the, the motivation just coming in is already immediately a lot higher. I mean, racing drivers are some of the most competitive people you will ever meet on the face of this earth. <laughs> and they all, they all want to be they all want to be better than everybody else that they're, that they're up against. So, um, a lot of times, you know, if you're training a general population client, that kind of motivation isn't necessarily there. Their motivations are very different. You know, their motivations are to, to lose a few pounds so that, you know, their, their husband or wife finds them more attractive or so that they can, they can look better for their, uh, high school reunion coming up. Or, you know, there's like, look, I'm really sluggish all day and I want to be, I just want to be in a healthier state or something like that. Whereas with drivers, it is com competition. That is their number one motivation and they all want to be better than the next guy or girl. So, uh, I think that's where that coach aspect of it comes back in. And it is really a matter of reading their, reading their motivations and, and figuring out the best way to get the most out of them as a result. And what is the, um, the first thing that you recommend for a motorsport athlete to focus on when starting their fitness journeys? Um, that actually, I, I, I think is very similar to what a general population client would be. And that is really emphasizing the concept of consistency and commitment to the program. You know, occasionally I'll get a driver who will kind of go ghost on me for a little bit and then he's got a big race coming up. So like the two weeks before the race, he wants to fit in like eight training sessions. And, you know, I, I try to make sure when, when everybody comes in, comes through my door, I say, look, this isn't a, you know, train for this event, then train for this event, then train for this event kind of thing. This is a holistic, like you like to say, holistic approach to your, uh, to your fitness and your performance. And it's, you know, it's year round and we need to go, we need to go through specific training periods and things like that so that you can get the most out of this program. Otherwise, you know, you're just you know, pardon my friends, you're just pissing in the wind. So it's great to hear that you have the same challenges over there as we have. here. Yes, we do. <laughs> and sometimes even with the drivers as well, like I said, their motivation is all really high, but 
sometimes they don't quite grasp that concept of needing to be consistent and the type of commitment it takes to that, to that program to really draw the best out of themselves. So, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely do that. And then, um, there are a few things also that we, that I try to emphasize in terms of what their fitness can do for them inside the race car. Uh, you know, when it comes to preventing, using your physical fitness to prevent mental fatigue and, and then also the, the injury prevention aspects of it and the injury risk reduction and, you know, speeding recovery, if you do get injured, that kind of thing. Uh, and I think some of those kind of, kind of hit home a little bit more with them. You know, most everybody's dealt with some sort of injury from an accident or something like that. So sometimes that's an easier an easier way to get them a little more committed than to say, hey, you need to be committed. Yeah, and it's exactly the same uh, with the general pop because generally they mm-hmm. won't come and see a trainer um, unless something um, severe Unless happened. there's an issue, yeah. Like unless they've had the heart attack or unless they've had the symptoms <laughs> mm-hmm. before or unless, um, you know, they, they've seen that embarrassing photo. So it's normally the aftermath. Right, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I think that sometimes that motivation can be very similar, but... And then, you know, with the, with drivers, um, you know, I, I definitely stress that everything that we're going to do is very comprehensive. We're not here just to get your heart rate up and work only muscles that are going to be used in a race car. Well, one, that's kind of a myth because you use all of your muscles when you're in a race car. And then we also do a lot of training when it comes to, like I said, the the cognitive function stuff, reaction time and uh, peripheral vision and things like that. So uh, I make sure that they understand that it's a very comprehensive approach. We include breathing. Uh, we do a lot of breathing work as part of our, as part of our program as well. So it's more than just, you know, running a mile and then lifting some weights kind of thing. And how many sessions per week do you recommend an athlete to start training? Um, is it like any other sport? Are they required to train six days a week, 10 times a day, like 10 times a week? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it would be great. Yeah, it would be great if they could train six times a week. But, you know, uh, like a lot of the swimmers train morning. They might do laps the afternoon. They do weights, runners. Yeah. So and, and we usually – I'll usually work with most, every, most of my guys, uh, most of my guys and girls two or three times a week. And then they'll do some, they'll do some cycling and things like that outside of our, outside of our training sessions. So they're most, for, mo- for the most part, uh, most of them are doing usually five sessions. I would say like five training sessions a week and two or three of them would be with me. And so of, they're, of all various um, time lengths? Uh, most of our sessions are around an hour. Yeah, most of our sessions are around an hour. And then we'll prescribe some things. Uh, for them to do on the, on their own with with cycling or running or something like that, that may be you know more or less more or less time depending on what it is they're they're doing and what you know what time of the year it is and what it is they need to be focusing on during that particular training cycle and that sort of thing. So apart from one on one training, what other services do you offer there? Uh, well, so for we do have online training, and right now I I keep that kind of restricted to people who are available to come to me at least once for an evaluation session. I'm working on putting, you know, I'll be working over the course of this year on putting together sort of a self-assessment kind of program so that we can send that to people and they can assess themselves, kind of walk them through that whole process and they can assess themselves and send the results back to me. 
but for right now, uh, we, we keep that to people who can come in and, and go through a, a two or three hour assessment with me in person. And then I can give online, uh, give them their program over the, you know, over email and stuff like that. And we'll update it monthly and that sort of thing. So I've got a few different, uh, a few different options in terms of how, uh, how comprehensive they want to get with that from here's three workouts for you to do each week, kind of rinse and repeat for a month all the way up to they send me their schedule of everything, school schedule, race schedule, whatever it is. And I plan out every single day for them uh, throughout the course of the month. So we do that. And then, uh, and then I also offer um, trackside support. If, uh, if anybody's, if any, if there's anybody who needs that kind of thing, which that generally gets, um, that's generally limited to like the 24 hour and 12 hour races, stuff like that. That's not really, that's not really something we do much on like a regular weekend basis. And what do you do at those events? Uh, so it'll depend on who I'm working with. Um, right now, actually for the, the Rolex 24 we have coming up next month, I'll be down or next week, next weekend. I'll be down there working with the Porsche GTLM pit crew and just doing things to keep them, keep them loose and alert throughout the course of the, of the race. Obviously they're, uh, you know, they get very tired as well over the, over the night, but you know, they have to, they still have to perform, you know, close to 40 pit stops throughout the course of the race and there is no replacement crew. So they're the ones getting everything ready and doing, you know, doing the pit stops every 50 minutes or so. So, We'll work on things like, you know, making sure their mobility is staying good throughout the course of the, the course of the event. And then also keeping their hand eye coordination in check, that kind of thing. Uh, obviously they've got to, you know, the, the fueler's got to hit a certain spot, you know, every single time and same with the tire changers and things like that. So, uh, and then if anything's bothering them throughout the course of the, throughout the course of the event, then we'll, you know, give them a little bit of you know, maybe do some, some foam rolling or something like that. If they're, if they have anything that's bothering them. And do you train many pit crew members? Uh, just the, just the Porsche GTLM team. Yeah. So they're actually, they're, they're based pretty close by to Charlotte just down the road. So I work with them on sort of a, a remote basis. I'll, I'll, I'll see them once a month, but then I'll, I'll send them their, their program over, uh, over a sports coaching app. So that's been a really good relationship. It's, we started it at the beginning of 2018 and it went fairly well throughout the course of 2018. So uh, we expanded it a little bit for this year to provide a little bit more for them and it's been going really well. So we'll, uh, we'll see how, we'll see how they all do over the course of the 24 hours next weekend. Yeah. And in 2019, um, Motivate is expanding to um, pit crew services as well. So we're going to be called. Oh, fantastic. They're going to be called motivate me. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think there's there could be a good opportunity there for us to exchange some ideas and see how we're see how we're treating these athletes because they are athletes, right? They are for sure, and I think they get forgotten about in the scheme of things. Absolutely, and I know there's a lot of there are a lot of teams where it's just the mechanics and they're the ones who go over the wall. So uh, in NASCAR, we have you know a lot of NASCAR teams. They have strength and conditioning coaches for the pit crew. I mean, that's, you know, the pit crew is, they're not mechanics. They're just, they are, uh, they're American footballers who did not go pro and they go and they, and they go and they, they change tires and they refuel NASCAR cars, uh, in, as their, as their job. So in NASCAR, it's a completely different story, but 
for the most part in sports cars and IndyCar and stuff like that, that's the mechanics who are going over the wall. So we have to kind of try to start treating them like the athletes that they need to be as well. Yeah. And I think for them, it's around about getting that mental mind shift as well, because they just think that, no, my job is X, where there's actually yeah. a, a physical component towards it. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it, it, it's really good though, because I think it does actually add a lot more fun for them as well. So they, you know, they, they're, they're wrenching in the car and they're digging around in the car for hours upon hours on a race weekend. And then they get to go have some fun jumping over the wall and <laughs> and trying to do something as quickly as possible. So, you know, that's something that I've always tried to, to instill in, in the guys that I work with is like, hey, this is your guys' time to have fun. And, and go, go do that. Go have fun. And, to, you know, it takes their mind off of the, you know, the pressure of the moment and that kind of stuff. And I, I think that they definitely perform better when they're enjoying what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. I think everybody does, don't we? <laughs> if we enjoy Absolutely. I know I do. That's right. I know I do. Now, Trey, one of the big things you hear um, we're really big about is branding. Um, you recently went through a brand change yourself. So you were Trayton Fitness and now you're yes. in performance fitness. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was definitely strategic. Um, when I started doing this, when I moved down to the area, I really wanted something that got, that got my name, my personal name known very well. And I wanted it to be associated with Trey Shannon. I wanted the I wanted the fitness and my name to be associated together so that people knew who that was that was doing that. And then as I began to build that recognition a little bit and started having a really solid client base and I saw the word of mouth start to work a little bit better. And when clients started, when I had people who were coming to me as opposed to me reaching out to them to get them to come in to, to train, that was when I decided I, I wanted to go ahead and go forward with the, the rebranding process. Um, so when it came to choosing a name for it, uh, the biggest thing there was I really wanted to, you know, it was great having my name attached to it, but I wanted something that drew a better connection between fitness and racing. And that was the main thing I was trying to do with, with Podium Performance Fitness was draw that connection and, you know, draw it in a way that it speaks to its relevance. Um, so that's, that's why the, the performance aspect of it is, is in there. Yeah. I love the new logo. Did it take you a long time to design or did you get some input? Uh, no, I, I got that done. So, uh, I work with, with my helmet painter. He does, he does all of my design work for my business as well. So yeah, get, check him out. Octane visual with a K octane mm -hmm. with a K visual. It's a uh, TJ Coyen up in Wisconsin. And he does fantastic work. He's a one-man show, and he paints uh, paints a lot of helmets every year. And he does some, you know, logo design work and things like that as well. And it, he's just fantastic. I've been working with him for seven years now, and it, it's been great. Yeah, it's a fantastic. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he. This was. I, I told him what I was looking for, and it took one one shot. Oh, love I, it. <laughs> he sent it to me, and I said, "Man, I don't want to make any changes at all. That looks amazing." Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, couldn't be happier. <laughs> so you mentioned about the possibility of doing the online training um, coming forward in 2019. What other grand plans do you have? Uh, mainly just trying to keep uh, trying to keep expanding and you know always constantly evolving our program to what it needs to be and what these drivers need out of it. I think when when it comes to neurocognitive training and vision training and things like that, we're starting to make 
much bigger advances there than we than we have before. So I think that we'll, there's been a lot of evolution in our program when it comes to that over the last couple of years. And I think we're going to see a lot of more of it in 2019 as well. You know, strength and conditioning has kind of been strength and conditioning for, for a while now. And uh, a lot of that is, is fairly, you know, proven, it's tested, it's proven, and we, we, we know it works there. Um, but we're learning so much more about how the brain and body work together and you know, how certain, how certain things have, uh, effects on the nervous system and, and, and hormone levels and things like that. And I think that as we learn more and more there, I'm definitely trying to make sure I keep up and learn as much as I possibly can so that I can, I can manipulate those things within my, within my drivers as best I can to improve their performance. So, uh, a lot of learning in 2019. Uh, I think that, you know, that, that kind of goes without saying each year, but, That's right. but yeah, just, just doing everything I can to improve and grow our program. Yeah. Fantastic. And have you been to Australia before? I have not. It is still on the, still on the list. We've gotten to do a little bit of, we've gotten to do a little bit of traveling. Um, but yeah, Australia is definitely, uh, definitely on the list of places I need to, I need to get to. Yeah, it'd be fantastic to have you come out. Maybe we could do a workshop or something together. Oh, that would be super. Yeah, that would, I would love to do something like that. That'd be great. Well, Trey, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I've listened to, uh, been listening to it for a while, so I was really excited when you reached out. Oh, thanks. Um, as you know, then, uh, I always like to finish off the podcast with what is your favorite racetrack? Yeah. Uh, so I actually have, um, a clarification question about that. Uh, are you looking for a track that I've driven or my favorite track just in general? Either or, or both. Okay. Well, I like like first spectators obviously because we like, yeah, yeah, from a racing perspective and yes, of course there's a driver. So So, I mean, man, there's so many really good tracks around the world. And, um, I think, for me, the one that has the biggest, uh, the biggest emotional connection that I really love, like it's the one race I have to sit down and watch every year, uh, and that's Long Beach. Mm-hmm. So I grew, I grew up going to the Long Beach Grand Prix and through all of its different iterations, they've obviously changed the course configuration several times because it is on city streets, but Long Beach is where it all started for me. So I have to put that one down as, as my favorite. Favorite viewing or driving? Uh, I've never driven it, but definitely, definitely viewing. Yeah. When it comes to driving, um, unfortunately I have quite a a love hate relationship with a lot of the tracks that I've driven because I've ended up spending 24 hours at a time on them. So I usually start out loving the track and then hating it by the end of it. But yeah, with, with tracks that I've driven VIR, I didn't have to drive that one for 24 hours. So I think that is an absolute dream to drive. There's so much elevation change. It's very classic European style course and it's absolutely fantastic. That's uh, Virginia International Raceway. Fantastic. And that one's really cool. I do remember I have two more questions. Um, yeah, do you, go. Do you have a 24-hour race coming up in 2019? I do not. As of right now, I don't have anything planned. So yeah, the last one that I did, uh, the one I did last year, that, that really took a lot out of me. So that one kind of was the the culmination of what we've been working up to with 24 hour races. Uh, and I traveled to, I traveled over to England and I did the, the, the Daytona 24 hour at Milton Keynes over there. And the plan for that one was to do a flat sprint, no breaks for 24 hours. 
So obviously we had to get out of the cart for fueling and then they require five or four mandatory five minute stops. But outside of that, I was at a full sprint the entire 24 hours. So I think we calculated that I spent 27 minutes outside of the cart. Mm -hmm. So after doing, <coughs> after doing that one, um, I think I may take a break <laughs> for this year because <laughs> that one definitely, that one was definitely draining and it was kind of the, that was where I wanted to get to with, with doing these. So yeah, so I've kind of achieved the ultimate goal when it comes to that one. So I think now the, the, it, there's very few things that would, that would get me back into a 24 hour race. So if one of those comes up, maybe, but as of right now, nothing planned. Fantastic. Well, I understand why not. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I heard about was that you had a rowing competition. Yeah, yes. Well, I thought we could yeah. do hey, I thought I'm, we could open it up for an international competition and I'm, the <laughs> I'm so happy that's made it to, to Australia. So yeah, the story behind that one is actually kind of funny. So <laughs> Um, I have, I have two clients that I, that are really good friends. They both race in the IMSA WeatherTech sports car series. So they'll be racing in the, the Rolex 24 this, this coming weekend. Uh, so Colin Brown, who races in the prototype class and then John Edwards, who races in the GTLM class, he drives for the BMW. They tend to, they usually train at Colin's house. He's got a, uh, he's got a setup, a gym set up in his garage there, which is actually really nice. And John kind of trains with him probably about half the time. So I came over, uh, came over one day for their training session and I show up and <clears throat> they're not in the garage ready to, ready to go. So I, I go out back and both of them are in the pool. So I decided I was going to make them pay for it. And they ended up doing a 10,000 meter relay row that day as part of their workout. So each one would row for 500 meters and they then switch off. So each one does 10, essentially 10, 500 meter stints on the, on the rower. Uh -huh. And about halfway through, they asked, Hey, what's the fastest time on this? Cause obviously they're always so competitive, right? Everybody wants to beat everybody else. And I told them, well, I have I don't have anybody who's done it yet. So they were a little angry that that was the case. <laughs> they wanted something to shoot for. So they ended up at that point just kind of going as fast as they could. And then as soon as they were done, they said, okay, now you, now you and Tom can do it. <laughs> and Tom being uh, Tom Long, who, has, who also races in the, the WeatherTech series. He raced for the Mazda Prototype program a couple years ago. And, uh, you know, now he's doing other things. So uh, they challenged Tom and me to, to do the row challenge. Uh, so a week later, we gave it a shot and came up about 30 seconds short on their time, but that was, uh, I would like to be totally clear. That was completely down to me. I, uh, I was definitely the weak link with wink, uh, the weak link in that one. Uh, Tom was definitely up to the challenge and I came up just a, just a little bit short and it was very, <laughs> very disheartening to know that it actually calculated out to be 1.8 seconds per 500 meter stint. That was all we had to do to go, <laughs> to go faster than them. But, but yeah, so if anybody, uh, if anybody over there wants to give it a go, yeah, um, I think, uh, I think the fast time to beat was 30, it's, I think 37 minutes and 14 seconds uh -huh. or 38, 38 minutes and 14 seconds, something somewhere in there. It's, uh, it's on my Instagram. If you guys want to, Take a uh, look. I will put it up there. Um, yeah, so if, if anybody uh, if anybody wants to give it a go, then uh, let us know what you got. 
Yeah, and then post it up onto um, Podium um, Performance. Yeah, post it. Yeah, post it on your Instagram or something, and tag Podium Performance Fitness. We'll get it going. We'll have an international rowing competition. Why not? <laughs> we'll see who's the fittest: the Aussies versus. Uh, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you very much for your time today, Trey. I'll let you get back to work. Oh no, it's bedtime, isn't it? No, uh, it's dinner time. Yeah, it's getting 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 to about dinner time. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much, Belinda. It's been a great time. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I really hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Now, remember all the show notes with the links and the specials mentioned in today's show are available over at motivatetraining.com.au. If you haven't already, I'd really appreciate if you could head to iTunes or Stitcher, type in Motorsport Coaching, subscribe and leave us a review. Each week, I'll read them out and you'll go into monthly draw to win a fantastic prize. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at motivatetraining.com.au or head over to our Facebook page at Motivate to Tea. Until next time, take care.